Today we are going to wrap up our series entitled Red Letters, and uh, we're going to kind of dive right into uh, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So our first point on the screen, I don't think it's on your outline, but on the screen, we recognize something. We recognize that the words of Jesus, we said, are powerful, right? Jesus spoke the word, and those who were oppressed by the enemy were set free. Jesus spoke the word, and the sick were healed. Jesus spoke the word, and the dead got up. Jesus spoke the word, and the winds and the waves ceased and obeyed him. We said Jesus' words are not only powerful, but we also recognize that his words are foundational. We've been looking at Luke chapter 6 where Jesus said, if you hear what I say and then do what I say, it's like building your house on a firm foundation, digging deep and laying a solid foundation, and your life will stand. And then the last thing we've looked at, and this is kind of really really where we've kind of focused our attention, we said that his words are insightful. That when we look, listen to the words of Jesus, we get an opportunity to see, to hear, and literally to feel the very heartbeat of God. Because Jesus always did what the Father said to do. He always said what the Father said to say. And Jesus actually said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so through the words of Christ, those red letters, we get an opportunity to really see, hear, and feel the heartbeat of God. And that really has been the thrust of this series over the last few weeks. I really thought like the Holy Spirit said that really is his heart. He wants us to connect and really get in step with the heart of God for our lives so that we can be in sync with what God wants to say and what God wants to do in us. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read uh, 12 verses, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And today we're going to look at what is called the Beatitudes. Uh, And the word Beatitudes literally means, uh, it literally means supreme blessedness. It means the ultimate blessing, so to speak. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Jesus declares eight blessings, and he declares eight blessings that God brings upon our lives. And I heard one uh, pastor make this statement. He said the Beatitudes are eight attitudes that need to be in the life of every believer. There are eight attitudes that need to be in the life of every believer. And what we're going to see through these eight Beatitudes is we're going to see what I really believe Jesus is teaching us to be the key to a blessed life, that if we want to live this blessed life that God has for us, here are eight things that we can do. And what we're going to see through these eight things is that these eight things are not just truths and principles that we live by, but they're actually invitations that invite us into the very heart and will of God. Because each of these eight characteristics are eight characteristics and attributes of God. And so Jesus is inviting us to walk like he walked and talk like he talked so we can experience the blessed life that God wants to give us. Now, before we read it, let me just go ahead and give you a quick definition of the word blessed. The word blessed is in many translations actually interpreted happy. It means to be happy. It means to have joy. It is an inner joy and an inner happiness. It's something that abides within you. So to be blessed is to be filled with joy. To be blessed is to come to a place where there is a contentment and a satisfaction on the inside of you that produces an overwhelming joy and an overwhelming peace. And we all have recognized this, and you know this to be true. We've recognized that things can be right on the outside, but if they're not right on the inside, then they're not right. 
Right? I mean, you can have the job you always wanted to have and still not be happy. You can be in the relationship you always wanted to be in and still not be happy. You can have money in the bank and still not be happy. Why? Because that blessed life that God has called us to live is not a result of external circumstances. It is the result of a heart being in step and in sync with the very heartbeat of God. And so that's what we're going to learn how to do today as we kind of look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So let's read it together. The Bible says this, one day as he saw the crowd, the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So let's look at that first beatitude. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So spiritual poverty, look at this, spiritual poverty is the key to kingdom prosperity. It is our dependence upon God, not our independence from him, that allows us to enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now when you think about the kingdom of God, I want you to think about it this way. It is the king's dominion. It is really that supernatural realm where God works. It's not just a spirit realm, but it is actually a supernatural realm. The kingdom of God is the place where the impossible becomes possible. It's the place where the invisible becomes visible. It's the place where the thing that could never happen actually does happen. Why? Because our God is a supernatural God. And his kingdom is not just spiritual. His kingdom is supernatural. And so Jesus said this, he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it is our spiritual poverty, it is the realization that we need God that allows us to enter into the supernatural realm of the kingdom of God. Let me say it like this, the more that you acknowledge God... And the more that you invite God into the daily circumstances and details of your life, the more you will experience the power of God on your behalf. The more you acknowledge Him and the more you invite Him is the more you will experience the kingdom of God, the power of God at work in our lives. Now, what's crazy about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is upside down and backwards, right? Because in the natural realm, we raise our kids up, and the goal of raising your kids is that one day they would actually stand independent of you, right? 
But in the kingdom of God, maturity is not coming to a place of independence. Maturity is coming to a place of total dependence upon God. And it doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. It just means that we recognize that apart from him, we're nothing and can do nothing. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. And then he makes this statement, for without me, you can do nothing. Why? Because the key to the kingdom is acknowledging that you need the king. (laughs) The key to the kingdom is acknowledging that you need the king. And unfortunately, unfortunately, let me me just use a little phrase right here. Unfortunately, many times spiritual pride keeps us out of the kingdom. And we're going to talk about humility in just a minute. But I want to talk about spiritual pride for just a second because sometimes what happens is, is that there are many people right now in our world because of spiritual pride, they refuse to acknowledge that they need God. And they walk in this arrogance that says, I got this. And how many of you understand that until you realize that you need God, you'll never experience the grace of God that brings salvation, that changes our lives? Now, the thing I love about the kingdom of God, as I just said, it's upside down and backwards, because in the natural world, in the natural world, when you think of prosperity, right, when you think of prosperity in the natural world, we kind of say it like this, you know, if you're going to prosper in this world, you're going to have to work harder, you're going to have to be smarter, you're going to have to be more dedicated, more committed, more educated, you're going to have to climb to the top, 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 and if you can ever climb to the top of your field, you can prosper and have great success, and you can make all kinds of money, and wonderful things will happen, but all of a sudden in the kingdom of God, Jesus says prosperity in the kingdom is not based on your independence or your performance. It is based on your dependence upon God. And so here's the good news. All of a sudden, Jesus brings kingdom prosperity. He puts it on the bottom shelf so everybody on planet Earth can grab hold of it. And he said the key to entering the kingdom is acknowledging that you need the king. And if you'll acknowledge him, and you'll honor him, and you'll worship him, and you'll bow before him, and you'll invite him into your life, and you realize you need God, guess what? The more you realize you need him, the more he will show himself strong on your behalf. And if you think about in your life, if you think about the people that you know that really walk and operate in the power of God, the people that really operate in the kingdom of God, you know what you know about those people? If you'll just think about them for a second. The people that really operate in the kingdom of God are the people that consistently acknowledge and invite God into their lives. I have never met a person that walked in the supernatural power of God that did not live a life of dependency on God. See, because when you begin to walk in the supernatural power of God, you begin to recognize something. You recognize it's only God that saves. It's only God that heals. It's only God that delivers. It's only God that redeems. It all comes from Him. And the good news of the gospel is that we can enter into the king's dominion and power and authority, and we can be partakers of all that he has made available to us through this supernatural realm called the kingdom of God by simply recognizing, realizing, and acknowledging that we need him. And it's spiritual pride that keeps people from coming to Christ. And it's even spiritual pride that keeps Christians, once we come to Christ, it's crazy how we get deceived. 
Many times we'll come to Christ and we realize we can never do anything to save ourselves. And then once we get saved, somehow now we think we have to work and earn our way into all that God has for us. How many know it doesn't work that way? If your works weren't good enough to get you in the kingdom, they're not good enough to give you access to all that the kingdom has. The way you got in is the way you continue to access everything that God has for you. How did you get into the kingdom of God? You realized you were a sinner and you needed a savior. You couldn't save yourself. God, I need you to save me. And the moment you said, God, I need you, guess what? God showed up. And the way that we continue to access what God has for us is we stay in that place of spiritual poverty that unlocks kingdom prosperity that allows us to receive everything that God has. Look at that next beatitude. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor. And then he says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning is not moaning, and it's not complaining. It is grieving. Our grief invites the comfort of his presence. So what should we grieve over? Let's just back up for a second. Mourning is not moaning and complaining. And how many of you know we live in a world full of moaners and complainers? I mean, really, it's, it's kind of funny. I like to listen to people. I talk a whole lot. Y'all hear me talk a lot. But I actually like to listen. And I love to listen to people because there are literally people that moan. They moan when they get out of the chair. They moan, oh, I got to go to work again today. Oh, oh I got to deal with them again today. Oh, my God. All the kids, oh, my, oh, my. Oh my, oh my goodness. Money, the bills. Oh my God, I got to pay. Oh my, oh. There's so much moaning. I mean, it's crazy. We moan and we complain and we moan and we complain and we moan and we complain and we moan and we complain. And God doesn't bless moaners and complainers. As a matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament, you find out what God really does think about moaners and complainers, and it's not really good. So, mourning is not moaning, and it's not complaining. It is grieving. And it is grieving over the thing that grieves the heart of God. And the thing that grieves the heart of God is sin. Sin grieves the heart of God because the wages of sin is death. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from the blessing of God. Sin separates us from the provision of God. Sin separates us from the plan of God. Sin separates us from the purpose of God. Sin ultimately separates people from God in a place called hell. Jesus grieves over sin. And here's an amazing revelation. If we would start grieving over the sin in our lives that causes us to moan and complain about what's wrong. (laughs) All of a sudden, things would change. Instead of moaning and complaining, if we would begin to grieve over our sin, you know what Jesus said? God blesses those who grieve, and they will be comforted. God sends the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Our grief invites the comfort of his presence. And all of a sudden, God begins to minister to you. God begins to heal you. God begins to remedy your soul. God begins to soothe your soul with his peace and with his grace. God begins to sustain you. And God begins to carry you through the difficult, challenging time. See, the thing that I've recognized is that most of the things that I want to moan and complain about are really the fruit of my sin. It's the fact that I had a bad attitude. 
and I said some things, and I did some things, and I made some very poor decisions, some very poor choices, and now I'm facing the repercussions of my own choices and my own decisions, and now I'm moaning and complaining. If I would just start grieving, great things would happen. Instead of moaning and complaining about the repercussions of my sin, if I would start grieving over the condition of my heart that's not right with God, you know what would happen? God would heal me. God would restore me. God would comfort me. And God would deliver me from the things that's producing the fruit of my life that I'm not pleased with. But there's another element of groaning that I really felt like the Lord said He wanted us to talk about today. And that is not only should we, uh, not only should we grieve over our sin, but we should grieve over the sin that's in other people's lives. We should grieve over them. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, he said, the reason so many Christians find it challenging to minister to other people is because they're not grieving over other people. If you have a hard time ministering to other people, it's probably because you're not grieving over other people. Look what the scripture says here in 2 Corinthians. It's a great, great truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. And He comforts us in all our troubles. What an awesome thing. He comforts us in all our troubles. If we grieve, if we mourn, He will comfort us. But then it goes on and He says this, So that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And this is a revelation I got. The Holy Spirit said, he said, Keith, when you begin to grieve over the sin in other people's lives, and you begin to grieve over the repercussions of sin and the death and the chaos and the confusion that sin is causing in their life, when you begin to grieve over their sin, this is what he said. He said, I comfort you. I minister to you with the ministry that you need to minister to them. I comfort you so that with the same comfort I give you, you can comfort them. Now here's the challenge, or here's the key to that. The key to receiving comfort from God so you can minister to other people is that you have to actually be willing to grieve over them. Now we've all experienced that, right? If you've had a child or a grandchild that was not making good choices and not making good decisions and they were, they were out there doing things that was hurting them and hurting other people, you've grieved over those people. You've grieved over your children. You've grieved over your grandchildren. But what would happen if we actually begin to grieve beyond our family realm and begin to grieve over other people and grieve over our coworkers and grieve over the people that we have met even maybe in casual acquaintances, you know what would happen? That grief would invite God's presence and His comfort so that we would be able to minister to people in a way that we've never been able to minister to people before. So this is what the Lord said. He said, Keith, if you, wanna, if you want to enlarge the capacity of your ministry, you've got to enlarge the capacity of your grief. Because God blesses those who mourn, and they shall be comforted. So all of a sudden, we have an opportunity to enlarge our ministry by enlarging our heart to grieve over people in our lives. Look at the next point. Jesus said, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. This is a great truth. Look at this. Humility unlocks our inheritance on earth. It enables us to receive what God has for us. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. So, so think about this. He says, God blesses those who are spiritually poor and realize they need God because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's this supernatural inheritance. 
And now he says, God blesses those who are humble because they will inherit the whole earth. They'll inherit the earth. There's a temporal inheritance, and then we're going to look at our last beatitude, and we're going to see there's an eternal inheritance. So there's a spiritual, a supernatural inheritance, spiritual inheritance through the kingdom, and now there's an earthly inheritance. There are things that God wants to give you right now, and they're temporal, right? How many know your house is not going to last forever? Your car is not going to last forever? And the temporal things of this world are not going to last forever, but that doesn't stop God from from wanting to give them to you. God wants to bless you. There is a earthly inheritance that God wants to pour out on your life. And this is what he says. God blesses the humble and they will inherit the earth. They will inherit their earthly inheritance. They will receive what I want them to receive. So I want to say to you today, there are some natural things and there are some physical things and there are some financial things that God wants to pour out on your life. And the key to it is humility. And why is humility the key? Here, here's, here's a thought. Humility is a key because let's flip the coin. Because pride keeps us from receiving what God has for us. I had a guy just a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was talking with a young man, and he said, Pastor Keith, he said, he said, what does humility really look like? And I said, well, I'm just going to give you a definition I've kind of operated on. I said, to me, being humble means that you stay teachable. You stay teachable. And I told this young man, I said, when I walk into a room, I said, I always recognize I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm never the smartest person in the room. Because if you walk in the room and think you're the smartest person in the room, you know what you're going to receive? Nothing. Because you already think you know more than everybody else, you have more than everybody else, and you're all that in a bag of chips. And we've all been around people when they walk in the room, they think they're the smartest person in the room, right? And most of us don't really like those people. <laughs> Let's just be honest. So here's the reality. Pride, pride makes you unteachable. Pride makes you unreachable. And pride makes you unable to receive what God has. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because there's an earthly inheritance that God wants to give you. So let me just make this statement. I'm going to give you a statistic right here. This is Keith Hodges' statistic. I have no clue if this is really true other than it's my observation, okay? Here it is. I believe that about 90% of everything that God does for people, God does through people. About 90% of everything that God does for people, God does through people. And I can honestly tell you, and you can probably ring true with this, I can honestly tell you, God has financially blessed me and Kelly more times than I can count. I mean, there have been times in our lives where there was no doubt this was supernatural intervention from God. And God financially has blessed us and prospered us and healed us and helped us. And I mean, so many amazing things. But financially, God has blessed us more times than we can count. But you know what? Out of all those times that God has financially blessed us, I have never once got a check from heaven. It's always come from people. I mean, I wonder if you took a bank, a check to the bank and it was signed by Jesus Christ, they probably wouldn't cash it anyway. I've been blessed by God financially more ways than I can count, but I've never got a check from heaven. God has always blessed me through other people. 
And think about the times that you've been encouraged by other people. And think about the times that you've been ministered to by other people. And think about the times that you needed physical help and somebody showed up and with their hands and with their feet, they were the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in your life. Why? Because 90% of what God does for people, God does through people. So if you're not humble and you're prideful, you keep people at a distance. You can't teach me. You can't help me. You can't instruct me. You can't show me anything. You can't tell me something I don't know. I don't need your help. I don't need this. I don't need that. Just keep your distance because I know it all. That's what pride does. Pride keeps us from receiving what God wants to give. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Keith, there are some people going to be at church Sunday. He said that I have an earthly inheritance. There are some physical, financial, natural things I want to give them. And their pride has disconnected them. They can't receive instruction. They can't receive direction. They can't receive correction from other people. And they are robbing themselves of the inheritance I want to give them. So humble ourselves. Recognize that humility is teachability. God, help me have a teachable heart that's always willing to listen and learn and receive what other people have to give. God blesses those who are humble. Look at the next beatitude. Jesus said, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. This is great. Satisfaction comes from pursuing the things that are right in the eyes of God. See, the word righteousness means to be in right standing with God. And we come to right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And once we come to the right standing of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then out of that righteousness that comes by faith, we pursue a life of righteousness. We just want to do what is right and what is pleasing in the eyes of God. And the word satisfaction is to be satisfied. It goes with that blessed life mentality. There is a contentment of soul that only God can give you. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I love, I love the words. I mean, you know, Jesus never misspoke. Jesus did not say, blessed are they who eat and drink righteousness. He said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Eating and drinking means I've obtained it. Hungering and thirsting means I want it. There's a satisfaction of soul that comes not from obtaining everything, but from pursuing the right things. There is a contentment of soul that comes when I begin to pursue what is right and what is pleasing in the eyes of God. Because let's be honest, sometimes I pursue what's right and I don't get it. Sometimes I still blow it. Y'all ever been there and done that? You know what I know though? This is awesome. Have you ever, have you ever seen your child do the best, I mean... They did the best they could do. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a report. Maybe it was a sporting activity. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. But they did the best. And you knew, I mean, they worked hard, and they did the best they could do, and it still wasn't enough. <laughs> they still didn't get an A. They still didn't get first place. They still didn't win the trophy. They still didn't cross the line. But you know without a shadow of a doubt, they did the best they could do, but yet they still didn't obtain the prize. You know what good parents do when our kids do the best they can do and they still don't obtain the prize? We applaud their efforts. We don't look at them and say, I can't believe you're so lazy and so sorry and you didn't win that prize. You're pitiful. Don't even call me your father no more. We don't do that. No, if you do that, I need to whoop you. But we don't do that. 
That's horrible. We don't do that. You know what we do? When we know that our kids have done their best and still failed, they've done their best and still did not obtain the prize, you know what we do? We grab them up in arms and we say, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You did so good. You tried so hard. And next, we're just going to keep on trying, and we're going to keep on pressing, and we're going to keep on reaching, and we're going to keep on doing it till we get where we need to go. And I am so, so, so proud of you. Why? Because we applaud their efforts, not their accomplishments. And guess what? We get that from God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're pursuing the right thing. They may not always get it right. They may fall flat on their face. They may come short of the glory of God. Lord knows I have a million times. But God is in heaven. Applauding us. And even better than that, God is satisfied. There is a contentment of soul that comes, a satisfaction that comes from knowing that I pursued what was right in the eyes of God. Even if I didn't obtain what I thought I was going to obtain at the end of it, I'm still satisfied. I want to give you one scripture real quick. We're going to move on. Ecclesiastes, a great verse. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. He who loves abundance will not be satisfied with increase. This also is vanity. Here, here's the revelation. There, 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 will ne there is no such thing as external satisfaction. No such thing. It does not exist. The only type of real satisfaction is internal that comes from the heart in being right with God. Because we have all said this. We've all said this. We've all said, if I could just get that car, I'd be happy. If I could just get that house, I'd be happy. If I could just get that job, I'd be happy. If I could just get that raise, I'd be happy. And we've even went so far as to say stuff like this. If I get that, I'll never want anything else. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> you will too. It won't even be a month old, and you'll be thinking about the next thing that you want. Why? Because if you love silver, you'll never be satisfied with it. If you love abundance, you'll never be satisfied with increase. There's not enough external stuff to satisfy your soul. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And here's the good news. When you're satisfied in here, you can enjoy all this out here. Whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, you can enjoy it. Why? Because you are satisfied. Look at that next beatitude. Jesus said, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I, I want you to see this. Mercy is not an excuse for sinfulness. It is an opportunity for repentance. And the more opportunities we give, the more we receive. I love Lamentations, and we sung about it this morning in our last song. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24 says, yet I, still to hope, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. The writer of Lamentations says, my hope is in the fact that God is loving and God is faithful, and His mercies are new every morning. God blesses those who show mercy, for they will receive mercy. Mercy is not an excuse for sin. Mercy is an opportunity for repentance. And when God shows us mercy, God is not saying it's okay that you sin. What God is saying, I want to create a place of repentance for you to turn to me. Because if you think about it, if you take mercy off the table, 
The only thing left is judgment. See, the Bible talks about that in Christ Jesus, mercy triumphs over judgment. Because if you remove mercy, there's nothing left but judgment. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, and inside the Ark of the Covenant was the laws of God, which represented the justice of the Lord. And on top of the law of God, you know what they placed? It was called the mercy seat. And it was at the mercy seat that God would meet with them. And it was at the mercy seat that atonement was made. And it was at the mercy seat where God would look over their sins for one more year in the Old Testament. And then here comes Jesus, the high priest who offered himself as a living sacrifice for our sin. And now the mercy of God has been extended to us. And if we would just be honest with ourselves today, we would know without a shadow of a doubt that the only reason we're still here today is by the mercy of God. If we got what we deserve, we'd all be dead and we'd all be in hell because the wages of sin is death, natural and eternal. But mercy, so what is mercy? When we show mercy, we receive mercy because mercy is not an excuse. Mercy is an opportunity. And aren't you glad? Think about it. How many times have you said to God, Lord, if you'll just forgive me, I'll never do that again. And Lord, if you'll forgive me, I promise I'll never, I really mean it, I'll never do it again. And, and I'll never do that again. And, and Lord, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never do that again. Aren't you glad his mercies are new every morning? And here's the good news. God kept showing you mercy, not because he was excusing your sin. No, God doesn't excuse sin. Jesus died for sin. He showed you mercy because he was creating an opportunity for you to repent and turn from your sin and turn to him. And you know what? It may have took one time. It may have took 50 times. It might have took 500 times. But aren't you glad that somewhere along the line, because of the mercy of God, you now have come out of those things that once bound you? See, I'm so glad I don't struggle today with what I used to struggle with 10 years ago. I've been set free. Amen. How about you? I've been delivered from some things. Do I still have struggles? Yes, I do. But praise God, I've gotten victory over some things. Not because I was good enough, but because God's mercy was great enough. And I tell people all the time, I, am, I try to be the most merciful, gracious person. I know why. Because I need a lot of mercy, and I need a lot of grace. And the more you show mercy, the more opportunities of mercy and grace come back to you. Amen? God's good, isn't he, guys? Jesus said, look at the next beatitude. Jesus said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Purity, I want you to see this. Purity creates clarity that allows us to see God and his mighty works around us. See, our, our heart becomes the lens through which we see the world. And the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, whose hearts have been cleaned and washed and made pure by the blood of Jesus and by the washing of the water of the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. The word pure literally means undefiled or unmixed. An unmixed heart. It's not mixed with the world and with God. It's mixed with, it's just full of Jesus. Full of his love, full of his grace. It's a pure heart. And my heart and your heart becomes the lens through which we now look at the world. And this is what I've learned, and you, you know this too. If my heart is full of anger, then I will see opportunities to get mad. If my heart is full of bitterness and resentment, I will see opportunities to be offended. If my heart is full of jealousy and envy and covetousness, then I will see opportunities to look at what you have and be angry and frustrated because I deserve what you got more than you do. But if my heart is pure, I'll see God. 
I'll see the goodness of God. I'll see the mercy of God. I'll see the grace of God. I'll see the handy work of God. And I'll look at you, and I'll look at the world, and I'll look at my life, and I'll see the hand of God everywhere that I look. Why? Because blessed are the pure in heart. Because purity creates clarity that allows us to see God. And if you're not seeing God, you need to check your heart. And let God wash it clean. Amen. He's really good at that, by the way. The next beatitude, look what Jesus said. Jesus said, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. If you're waiting for all the conflict to go away before you have peace, you're in trouble. <laughs> we live in a world stained by sin. Until we get to heaven, there will be conflict. And then we're going to be there, so I wonder what it'll be like. I'm not sure. But anyway... God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. I want you to see this. Those who work for peace, look at this. They declare war. They declare war. They de it is a declaration of war that fights for the people in conflict. Peacemakers reflect the character and nature of God. Let me say it like this. When you work for peace, King James' word is a peacemaker. If you're a peacemaker, this is what you do. Peacemakers never take sides. Peacemakers never take sides. Peacemakers, this is awesome. Peacemakers take over. <laughs> they take over the entire situation. And they don't take it over because they're manipulating and controlling. They take over the entire situation because they care about everybody in conflict. See, if you're a peacemaker, you're going to have to declare war on the things that make conflict. And you're going to have to fight... For all the people in conflict, that's what peacemakers do. They don't take sides, they take over because they care for everybody in conflict. And most of our families have peacemakers in them, right? If you've got a family, there's a couple kids, whatever, whatever, there's always that little peacemaker one that can't stand it when everybody's arguing, can't stand it when people get along, and they come in there, and you know what that peacemaker does? They just want to make everybody happy. Can't we all just get along, right? And you know what that peacemaker never does? They never take sides. They take over. <laughs> they take over. And isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus came to our world of conflict, confusion, and chaos, and he stepped in. And the Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus came in and declared an end to the hostility that was against us and created out of all mankind one man in Christ so that we could be united together. He didn't take sides. He took over. Because he decided, I'm going to care for everybody in conflict. And I'm not going to fight against people. I'm going to fight for people. See, when you're a peacemaker, you fight for people, not against people. Think about your marriage for a minute. If you're fighting against your spouse, you're never going to win. You're never going to win. Because you are one. If you're fighting against your spouse, you're never going to win. Never going to win. But what would happen if you started fighting for your spouse? What if you started fighting against the things that brought conflict and started fighting for the people in conflict? The Bible says, and they shall be called the children of God. There is very few things that will distinguish you and mark you as a child of God like the peace of God. And a peacemaker spirit that says, I'm going to fight for peace.
and I'm going to refuse to take sides. I'm going to take over because I'm going to care for every person involved. Amen. Y'all with me? Y'all good? All right. Jesus said, last one, here we go. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for a great reward awaits them in heaven. Persecution, mockery, lies, and gossip produce an eternal reward. Those who attack you because you do what is right are blessing you with eternal rewards that will never end. Now, there is no reward for doing what's wrong. Right? How many know there is persecution that comes from being, being uh, not really smart? I was going to say stupid, but I didn't want to say that. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for a great reward awaits them in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at this last scripture together. The Apostle Paul says, for our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on what we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever and ever and ever. Jesus said, be happy, be glad, because listen to this. The pain of persecution is just for a moment. But the reward that you will receive will last forever and ever and ever. There's a reward that comes for those who suffer for doing what's right. And we all know there's persecution, there's tribulation, there's trouble, there's trial. And sometimes it seems like the harder you do what is right, the harder people fight you. <laughs> Welcome to the war zone, guys. But here's the good news. The pain of persecution is only for a moment. But the reward will last forever. Don't you know it has to frustrate the devil that everything he does against us actually works for us to produce an eternal reward? <laughs> I'm sure he gets so mad. I want you to just bow your heads with me today. We're about to close. I want to do two things today. Number one, if you're here and you have never truly trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we call it being saved. Jesus called it being born again. And today you want to do that. Today you want to give your heart and your life to Christ. You realize that first beatitude, blessed are the poor because they realize they need God. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've resisted God. Maybe you've been mad at God. Maybe you've been confused about God. But today you want to acknowledge your need for Him. And you say, today I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want to ask you to do something. We say it every week, very simple, very powerful. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. It's simple. Just stand up. But it's powerful because it's an act of faith that will change your life. So right now, if you want to accept Christ, just stand. Just stand all over this building. A simple act of faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I'm going to pray with you as you stand in just a moment. But today, you want to acknowledge that you need God. And you want to ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Forgive you of your sins and come into your life. If that's you, just stand to your feet. I want to challenge all of us that are here today as Christians. Let's evaluate our hearts. How in sync are we with the heart of God? These eight Beatitudes kind of drive home some of the characteristics of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So Lord, today I pray that you would help us to sink our hearts with your heart and help us to live as you've called us to live. I thank you for the blessed life today. And we declare your blessing over your people in Jesus' name. 
Amen.